Well, good morning, everyone. It's, it's really good to be here, to be back here. Um, can't believe it, really, to be here. Uh, thank you. Kiss is back. So uh, um, we really, really have a lot of love and fondness for Actually, I always used to call it Tadley Community Church, but you've switched your name around now, haven't you? Community Church Tadley. So uh, anyway, uh, thank you so much. Um, so Pete's asked me to share on what have we been doing the last couple of years, what are we up to? Um, we finished in Tanzania two years ago, and uh, we always knew at some point we'd come back. And I really would love to just say thank you so much to everyone that supported us, uh, church, but also families, individuals, in the 10 years that we were away, and uh, to give you encouragement that the work is carrying on, it's expanding, it's growing. So we pray that everything that was given is like a seed that is growing now in the ground. Um, we came back in the midst of COVID, so it wasn't the easiest uh, transition. We couldn't see anyone, uh, couldn't come back here very easily. Um, it was tricky. Uh, God led us to Bath. Uh, we're not somewhere we'd ever thought we'd go, uh, at least for the time being. And I'll just invite Rachel up just to uh, say a few words about some of the things that she's been doing and about the girls. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, it is wonderful to be back with you all again and see you all. And yeah, we just feel so much at home, so it's wonderful. But yeah, no, Tim just asked me to just give a little bit of an update on what we're up to. Um, so Amisa and Louisa have a wave. Amisa has just finished her A-levels and is headed off to York in September to do history and politics. And Louisa is just starting her A-levels now, so just finished her GCSEs. Um, and for me, I'd, um, I'm trying to think where to start and what to say, but um, I guess what Pete just said about hope was just really apt and appropriate. And for me, and I think for all of us, just that sense of hope. When we arrived, it was a bit tough. Um, and just praying and thinking about, well, what are we doing in Bath, for one thing? Um, but what has God got for us now? Um, and I just had this picture of a very broken, run-down old house, um, just in a terrible state of disrepair. Like, it was dusty, the windows were, the glass was broken, and you couldn't see the light. Um, it, it, was, it was like it was, had been inhabited, so there was furniture, but it was all broken, and it was just in a really bad way with holes in the roof. It was just this picture of a really um, broken house. And then there was this other picture of a big table where, you know, big table that kind of extended and extended where lots of people could gather and eat and community and all of that. And this sense of, of hope and restoration and so rebuilding a house. And I think maybe I kind of hoped in a way this would be our house, <laughs> um, you know, that, that that would be the place. But actually what's happened has been kind of interesting. The house is in one place. I'd say the table is in another place. And neither of it's in our house. We're in, a, in quite a small flat where we can't fit many people at all. But anyway, what I'm doing is um, I've got involved with, um, with the Bath Council on a pilot project for, it's called Fostering Families, which has been quite incredible. Um, so it's working with uh, families where the children are about to go into care or something where they would need foster parents and there's a real shortage of foster parents and there's a huge number of children um, very vulnerable and in need so this the idea of this project is to get in there as a preventative 
stage and just work with the family so that they don't need to lose their children but can turn things around. And so I've been placed with a family. Their children were on, they were on child protection and really struggling. Mum was on her own. She's, her eldest was nine with, with autism, very violent, really hard to manage. Um, and then a six-year-old and a four-year-old and a one-year-old. Um, and just couldn't cope. Um, and the house, it was a really broken house. You know, it was, it was almost unlivable, and that's why they were at risk of losing the children for reasons of neglect and all of that. But it wasn't for lack of love. It was just lack of being able to cope. Um, so, and it's been this amazingly hard and really, really tough uh, time of getting alongside this woman um, and just seeing little bits of light come through the window and you know my I sort of went in all you know as I do oh I'm just gonna fix this place we'll tidy it up and it'll all be fine and you realize no you know it, this is a really long haul project and you know I would I would tidy the house you'd clean everything and as much as you could but then you know the son would come in and he would literally take a jug of milk and pour it all over the living room and all the rubbish was back all over the floor and there's that sense of intense discouragement that this is never going to work but actually you just look at the small little steps and one of the one of the small steps that really touched me was when we got a table in their house in the living room and and just that picture of that big table this was a tiny little table little fold-out thing but we got it there and we could put the kids around the table to all eat together I mean before they were just sitting on the floor in the kitchen off eating off the floor but now they were sitting at a table, and then that picture of the table came in, and it's just how God does answer prayers in the most unique and unusual way sometimes. So that's one thing I'm doing with fostering families. Then the other bit of the table came back in because there was a, um, we, we live close to an estate where there's a lot of, well, it's quite a socially deprived area, a lot of drugs, a lot of drink and alcoholism, alcoholism issues. Um, and a lot of loneliness, also a lot of grief. Many people have lost people over COVID, and there was also a lot of suicides that had happened there and drug overdose. So a lot of really grieving people with a lot of questions. So I've become involved with them doing a meal. Every Wednesday they can come a community meal. And again, it was just, okay, well, here's our tables, you know, and just that this is what we can do, and just giving some hope, a someone to talk to, some food, um, and that's been marvelous, um, and a lot of hard work as well. And then the third thing, which is about a house, um, is, I don't know if anyone's heard of Hope in, Into Action, a guy called Ed Walker um, in Peterborough has started this national initiative um, to see the homeless housed. Um, and it's really exciting. We are just, there's about four or five of us in the church in Bath who've been trying to pull this together. The idea is that you invest in, you invest in, a, in a house. So if you've got some capital, um, you buy a house and then you lease it, as it were, to the charity so people can use this this house. So, um, and the name of it, Hope Into Action, just it resonated immediately as soon as I heard about it. And so what we're gonna be doing is and they, all the connections lined up because I had these connections with the council through the fostering job. So they're looking for people to house young care leavers who, you know, sort of get a bit stuck leaving the care system and then trying to make it on their own. So we're looking at housing um, two or three girls 
um, coming out of the care system with this house. Sorry, I'm rabbiting on. But anyway, it's all really exciting and just want to say, you know, even when things feel really broken, dirty, unsure, um, there's always that hope. You know, you just need to wipe the window and just let God's hope come in and see him at work, really. So none of this I could possibly have done on my own. So it is totally God at work and a God of hope and just we can cling on to that. So amen. And I'll stop now. Great. Thank you very much. Um, so when we got back, we were doing furlough, not the furlough that's because of COVID, but the furlough because of coming back from uh, overseas mission and job seeking. And God led me to work with, apologies to Greg, who knows Spanish, a charity called Amigos. I know that's not a very nice Spanish uh, pronunciation. Uh, and this charity, and it's a story itself, which I won't go into, is a charity, Christian charity that works uh, with disadvantaged and um, marginalized people in Uganda. And soon, South Sudan. We're about to, we've made some explorations into South Sudan, perhaps the um, uh, poorest country in Africa. Um, so Amigos was doing, is doing some similar things to what we were doing in uh, Tanzania with um, Emmanuel International, but also some different things. Um, so, and the heart for Amigos is to see people and communities uh, work their way out of poverty and be whole and flourish. We like to say, we give a hand up, not a hand out. That's our little phrase, um, and I think it's not unique to us. Um, we have a range of, we can have, that's the first picture coming up, a range of um, initiatives that link together. Uh, the first one, I'll just mention a few of them, uh, farming training. Uh, 95% of the people we work with uh, don't have enough food to eat. Uh, many survive on one meal a day. I know, Marin, you um, grew up on a farm. Your dad was a farmer. Uh, you can see these two farms, for example. The, um, they're actually um, kind of neighbors. Uh, so the lady on the, on, the, on the left, she's destitute. Um, we're hoping that this year she'll become part of our, our program. And uh, the, you see the joy on the, um, the family uh, on, the, uh, on the right. But you should realize there's no, there's no Sainsbury's nearby. There's no food bank. There's no social security. You eat what you grow. And if you don't grow enough, too bad. Uh, so that's one of the things we do. Next one, uh, business training, training in business. Uh, to help people have enough to uh, meet basic needs, uh, support their children in school with uniforms, etc., uh, build houses, have resilient lives. Most people uh, do uh, things like um, chicken projects, uh, be, um, pig projects, or agricultural projects. This guy is running a phone repair shop. He's doing rather well. Uh, amazing that he could do that. Go on to the next one. Uh, so, water and sanitation. Um, water is essential for life, to live lives. And you can see um, the joy on the, this community as they get water for the first time. And the boy there, clear water. No longer do, do they need to go to the swamp to get their water, but they can have pure water. Um, now, just to say, um, 
if you, I brought some of our, just come out our annual review. Uh, lots of really interesting stories. I'm not going to refer to any of the stories in here. Uh, a really good read. There's some at the back. Uh, if you um, don't like reading, there are some wonderful pictures. So there we are. I'll give that one to you. So. Our, our founder was a printer and has really got that into uh, our system. Now let's go to the next one. Uh, next one, uh, a growth mindset, uh, a way to uh, help people overcome the obstacles and make the best of the opportunities before you. Sometimes opportunities you didn't realize you had to move from, a, if you like, a poverty mindset to a growth mindset. Now this lady, as you can see, Agnes, she is disabled. Uh, when the, her parents realized she was disabled, they thought, well, it's no point sending her to school. So she's had no education. She can't read or write. Uh, and yet you won't believe what's happened. Uh, she has been able to start a business uh, selling vegetables and, and fruit. Uh, she now supports her three children. Her brother, uh, he died. She also supports his seven children, and she supports her elderly mother. Now, who could believe that could be possible? Uh, it's, uh, it's amazing. And I, and I was thinking, I think maybe we could do sometimes with a growth mindset here uh, in, to see what is possible, how you, there's no point moping about, but actually to move on. And then, go to the next one, uh, conflict resolution. Uganda has been a war-torn country, uh, a lot of civil war, uh, rebels active in the north where some of the communities are, uh, it's, they're finished now, uh, causing a lot of pain, uh, 30 to 40,000 child soldiers uh, taken uh, until about 2007 or 13, I can't remember, around, but the pain is still in the community. Uh, some other pain is of family, lots of household, uh, domestic violence. 81% uh, of women that we work with have experienced domestic violence in the last six months. And for some people it's just personal tragedy. Uh, things that have happened to their life that has really brought so much pain. No, like this uh, lady here, Scovia, uh, she spent time in um, uh, a camp. Uh, when there was the uh, civil war, the government made camps so people could flee if rebels were around, uh, supposedly to be safe, but these were pretty horrible, brutal times. Uh, and she hated life in the camp, and she became a lady full of hatred. She married a wonderful man who adored her, and she treated him abysmally. She, in her own words, was a horrible mother, and yet through the work, she has now found peace. She's put matters right with her family, and she's now working with South Sudanese re refugees in the north in the camp, bringing conflict resolution. So I'm going to say a little bit more about conflict resolution a bit uh, later, uh, along with the next thing I'm going to say, which is the next picture. Uh, is that all of this is about working through the church. Uh, we really desire that the church could lead the way in being, a, uh, uh, in being a transforming presence in the community. Now, uh, why would we do that? Well, as you know, throughout the Bible, God's means of working, of bringing his kingdom, 
is through his people. And today, who are his people? It's us, isn't it? The church. Now, I think the church needs a bit of growth mindset as well in the way that it works uh, both here and over there. Um, so in our work, our, we desire to help uh, local churches partner with God, enter into their calling and make a difference in their communities. We also have a vocational training centre called Kira Farm uh, for disadvantaged young people. Uh, they're coming to us broken and the aim is that they return to their communities as community transformers or local missionaries uh, working with the church and really changing things. Now I'm going to come to some stories in a little bit, but I thought it would be good to just share a bit from the Bible. I've been recently reading 1 Timothy. Uh, as, uh, as I was always told it was an important book for me to read with my name, so uh, finally I've got round to it. No, I have read it, uh, but actually I've been studying it and loving it um, uh, um, in the last few weeks or so. Now let's just turn to uh, 1 Timothy 2. You can go to the next slide. There we are. Um, 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 7. Let me just say as you find it, um, Paul, at this point Paul has left Timothy in Ephesus and he's gone on to Macedonia and from Macedonia he has written this letter for Timothy. The purpose is, is to stop the false teachers uh, who are most likely the elders, <laughs> causing havoc in the, in the church, uh, and preventing the church um, from being harmed. And, uh, and actually, these elders, are, these, these false teachers, are preventing the church from doing God's work. So, as a big warning here. Um, now, let's, what is God's work and how big is it? Let's look at it from 1, from 1 Timothy. And I'll read from verse 1. It's on the screen there, the first passage. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for the kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives, in all godliness and holiness. Now, why should we be praying for all people? Verse 3, this is good and pleases God our Saviour who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time, and for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. So, God's work is massive. It involves all people. Um, in our work, I mean, it, actually in society today, there's a big emphasis on being inclusive, diversity and inclusion being inclusive well God is the truly inclusive one he's properly inclusive his intention is that the good news of Jesus goes to all people without distinction and if we need proof of that well verse what is it verse 5 there's one mediator 
That's between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, God's own son. So God's involved in reconciliation. I love the passage you read earlier, Pete. Uh, God is into conflict resolution uh, between not just one or two people, but between him and the whole world. He took the initiative. He didn't wait for us to uh, sort our lives out, to realise that we couldn't do it anymore, but he really took the initiative. And I guess the question for us is, can we as the church get God's heart and continually get God's heart for the world? Lovely to hear about the children's club and 45 children. You know, that's wonderful, isn't it? Uh, so we pray that God will water those seeds and yield a, a, a harvest in time. At the time of writing, Paul has done the initial work of proclaiming the gospel, establishing churches, and uh, he wants the, to see the churches now living out the gospel and spreading its influence in their area, to take the work on to a second stage of seeing the, 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 feel like the work of God flourish. Let's just jump down to the next uh, verse, uh, chapter 3, 14 and uh, 15, which is the centre of the letter in more ways than one. Centre, obviously, halfway through the reading, but also the heart of what is really being communicated. This is what Paul says. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Now, if we want to realise how significant the church is to God's agenda, here it is, right at the centre. Uh, this is why the church mustn't be derailed, mustn't be harmed by false teaching. Um, so our work involves helping churches, whether it's here or overseas, helping churches not live on a diet of McDonald's teaching. I see our, our children like McDonald's, but it's <laughs> junk food, but on a diet of maybe Val de Burt's cooking or Pat Dixon's cooking. Healthy, full, beautiful, freshly cooked food that actually nourishes and uh, so that's really what we want to see, the church coming into the good of what God has, so that they will see their place in God's plan. Now, the church is three things from this. Did you notice them? The household of God, the pillar of the truth, but also the foundation of the truth. The way we conduct ourselves towards one another is important so that we will shine out the good news. So let me just say a few words about these three things. First of all, the church is the household of God. These are all things that we know and understand, are familiar with, but it means we are God's family. And that's just amazing, really. I mean, we know it, but we should just allow it to sink in. Um, we are a community reconciled to God and to one another uh, who live out salvation in Jesus. If somebody were to say, what does salvation actually look like? We should be able to say, 
it looks like the church. This is what it looks like in reality. Now that's a challenge for us, isn't it? A good challenge. Uh, church may not be perfect, never will be, but actually to see that not as a negative but as an encouragement to, to, uh, to live it out. Later on, Paul will say in chapter 5, talk about how widows, elders, slaves should be treated well. Why? Because they're all part of God's family, equally. And they should be treated with dignity and honour. So it's encouragement for us to live out being the family of God, to bear the family likeness, uh, the likeness of our Father. To, it's not enough to be saved, but we should be living out the saved life uh, in practice. Forgiving and being forgiven. And becoming whole. And also, uh, we are to be like, uh, a be a family that is always welcoming to others. And I was thinking, not like probably the traditional uh, UK family. It used to be, you know, man and woman with 2.4 children. I think it's less than that now. But more like an African family with hundreds of kids. Uh, always, when we were around, people would say, are you going to add more children? Are you going to add more children? That's the normal. Uh, so yeah, we should be always open. And one of the things I love is to say, you know, if, you, if your brother or your sister's children need help, well, you, you just draw them in. And I think we're a family that are open to others joining, um, to, be, to see people experience the love of the Father. So an encouragement for us that we are the church of the living God. You notice that? Uh, God's presence is in our midst. When we gather together, uh, we're not gathering to somebody that's far away. God's already here. He's put the chairs out. He's, he's been praying for you. Uh, he's drawn us together. And he is there. He energizes. He fills us. He directs us so that we can continue and be a community of the gospel, living out uh, the gospel in practice. That's the first one. Uh, second one, I'll move on a bit quicker. The church is the pillar of the truth. Now, truth is really important in this letter of 1 Timothy. Uh, and throughout, the truth means the truth of the gospel. Uh, the good news of Jesus that saves and transforms us. What about pillars? What do pillars do? Well, they hold up, don't they? Hold up the upper parts of a building. Uh, in their day, particularly the temple, uh, temple in Ephesus to Artemisus was a huge structure. They would all see what the, what the pillar does. Um, so the church upholds the truth of the gospel. Now how do we do this? We show the fruit of sound teaching. Teaching of the gospel. Uh, as it's worked out into our lives and our life together. We are to bring credibility to the gospel. Aha, so people can say, aha, now I see. Uh, I'll come back to that for a bit later. And then thirdly, the church is the foundation of the truth. We are the basis for receiving, defending, proclaiming, spreading the gospel that Jesus is bringing his amazing salvation and transformation. 
And I think there's encouragement for us to make sure we are a sure foundation, a strong foundation. Uh, you can't skimp on a foundation. It's always, I've always said to people when, I've, when we've visited their homes and villages, it's always interesting. When you want to build a house, you want to go up, but the first thing you do is you go down. And you might feel like you're going nowhere, but the foundation is really important. You can't skimp on that. So truth is important. Now, I think we know this, particularly recent political events, uh, big debates about the importance of truth. A uh, certain person has said that they have never told a political lie. Um, hard to believe. Um, and I won't touch on it really, but verse 16, the next verse, says that God's truth, which is the mystery of godliness, is all about Jesus Christ and his story. See, we didn't discover truth. God's truth had to come from outside the world into us so that we could see. And that's the, that's the good news. And I would encourage you this week just to spend time on meditating on verse 16 and just, now just appreciating what Jesus, who Jesus is and what he has done. This truth is to be experienced, tasted, felt, enjoyed, upheld, built upon. The church should demonstrate the glorious, life-changing, powerful, loving, kind truth of God. How many of you know that God's truth is everywhere? Can't limit God. God made the whole world and the gospel touches everything. It's one of the things we love to say in our work in Uganda. God's truth touches everything. The gospel touches everything. There's nothing that God doesn't know anything about. Uh, his wisdom is there. If we spend time ready to, 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 to listen, to learn, the truth is there. So let's work this out and flesh it out for all to see. Now let me just come back to some stories of God's work uh, from Uganda and the reconciliation that is happening. We'll have the next slide up. Of how God is putting families and communities back together for new life and to shine God's light out to others. And uh, this is a very much a way of encouraging us uh, to do the same. So here is, first one is Kenneth and his wife Irene looking very, very happy. Uh, I can tell you that they weren't always very happy. They're from Gulu in the north. Uh, Kenneth and Irene are members of Aero Niero uh, Community Farming Group. Uh, and I asked our, my colleague, I said, what does this mean, Aero Niero? And he said, it means a chance to laugh. He said, it means you've had a painful, sorrowful time, but you've moved from that and now you've got a chance to laugh. I said, well, what a, what a great name. So, so um, this is what Kenneth says. I'll just read out his, his, uh, his testimony. He says, I am very happy with this new method of conservation farming. You can see their, their farm of soybeans in the bottom corner, doing very well. So it's not just farming but well blended with the word of God. It does not only handle the practical aspects, but it tackles the entire parts of life which can bring transformation 
So real transformation from the inside out. I had a dark past, which at times makes me feel ashamed when I talk about it. I had no hope, there we are, hope again, hope for the future. Drinking alcohol was the order of my day, and I would beat my wife whenever I drank too much. I used to make all the family decisions, and no one could say no. This lasted for quite some time, and nearly forced my wife to leave. Now, I am a living testimony. My life has totally changed from the day I received this training. I stopped drinking and began involving my wife in family decision-making. My wife and I have become role models to other group members in our community. At home, no one is above anyone else now. We do everything together, and we are bonded by mutual respect. Our family has never lacked food since we joined the farming group. The community is restoring hope for the future and experiencing total transformation. The rate of drinking has greatly reduced among men. People pray and acknowledge God in everything they do. Women are respected and many have claimed leadership roles in the community. Together we can eradicate poverty and say no to domestic violence in our homes. Amazing, isn't it? What God is doing. Here's the, the second one. This is Judith, uh, who's 21 years old now, from Lyra uh, in the north. Uh, this is what she said. Our family was one of the wealthiest families in the village. But during the Civil War, we lost everything. Our grandfather was killed, our cows were taken, and our family home was burnt to the ground. After the war, my father got so frustrated with the hard life we had to face, and unfortunately turned all the frustration onto his family. He would drink a lot of alcohol, and whenever he was drunk, he would beat us up. This caused my mother to flee, leaving me at 14 years old, responsible to, my, to bring up my siblings. I became like a mother to them. It was a huge challenge, and I ended up becoming a thief around the village as the only way to find support for my siblings. One day, I was selected to go to Kira Farm. That's our vocational training uh, center for a year. I was hugely surprised at how beautiful it looked. And to be honest, for the first weeks, I felt like it, I, I did not deserve to be there. At times, I would worry how my siblings were doing. But the more I got skills, the more I thought of how um, they would be of help to everyone in the family and community when I returned. So I started feeling comfortable being there. I'm so grateful for the discipleship training because it taught me how to trust God. I learned that even if I did not steal, God would bless the works of my hands and we would get what we needed. When I got home, I was determined to leave the painful life behind. I started tailoring and built up a successful business. 
I have also been able to train my siblings in better farming skills so that we are happy as we have enough food at home. I am happy that I am now training 30 young mothers in the community with both tailoring and hairdressing skills. And here she is. She's in the centre with the pink uh, top, uh, heads covering. Here's uh, Judith. And these are some of the people that she is training. I am passing on my conflict resolution skills, my restorative knowledge, and sharing my discipleship learning with these young mothers. I am seeing many lives change, and I am committed to doing what I am doing for the rest of my life. Once a thief in the community, I am now giving a hand up to so many people, and I want to thank God for that. And here's the last one. Here's uh, Miriam. Uh, Miriam, 19 years old, from Lyra. She said this, I never experienced any peace in our family since I was born. My father had two wives, and there was never any peace between our mother and her co-wife. You can imagine that. Uh, when we grew up, the situation became worse because even we kids got involved in our parents' fights. There was a lot of poverty in the family just because we spent most of the time in fights. Sometimes we would also destroy our family gardens just to cause pain to one another. Things got worse when we started involving ourselves in witchcraft with each mother and her children trying to win the favour of our father. Getting involved in witchcraft made us even poorer because we started taking all our chickens and animals to the witch doctor. I mean, you can't go empty-handed. You need to pay them, but also you need the sacrifice. So we ended up with nothing. We did not go far in education because of our poverty. And even the little we had was wasted on witchcraft. I was so tired of the conflicts in our family. But there seems no way out. I'm so grateful for the time I spent on Kira Farm. It cleared me of witchcraft and the violence that occupied my mind. I was happy I was able to interact with other trainees and hear their stories, which made me stop complaining about my own problems, and I focused on making changes. That's huge wisdom there in what she said. Since then, life in our family has changed a lot. I am happy that my mother has been able to listen to me more than she has ever done. Using my conflict resolution skills, I've been able to talk to her about stopping the violence with her co-wife. And I am grateful to God that the fights have reduced. I am happy that I have been able to teach my family better farming. We now have more food, and our last good harvest has motivated my step-family, that's the, the, co the family of the co-wife, uh, into learning better fa farming too. I am doing my tailoring, but I'm also training two of my sisters in the business. I am so grateful 
for the discipleship I received, as I am now able to share the word of God with my family. Ever since I got back home, we have not gone into witchcraft again. And everyone in the family is happier than ever. I am on a big mission now, uniting my family, and I know I will accomplish it because God has given me the strength and favor that everyone listens to me now. So that's Miriam, and there she is uh, with her maize harvest. So, at the center of this really is a, hopefully a vibrant church living out God's truth in their community. We'll have the next picture. Uh, this is a pastor, Pastor Patrick, and Rachel and I had the privilege of meeting him when we went in March. Uh, and this is what he says. I'm thrilled about the local church being a community of imagination where God's people are discipled in supporting one another, worshipping together, and building loving friendships to overcome poverty and display God's radiant abundance. Now, he's looking at starting a youth um, uh, training center uh, through his church. Just a few stories. Uh, please read the others. Um, let me just sort of finish this off. So the church is born through the gospel, and the gospel is preserved, declared, and protected, and held out through the life of the church. It's both and. In a world of confusion and pain and anxiety, people want the truth. Truth that works in practice. Truth that liberates. Truth that heals. And truth that gives hope. Now that's true whether it's in Tadley, Uganda, South Sudan, wherever we are, that is what people are looking. So let me just finish with a couple of questions. So what does this mean for this church here? How can this church be a demonstration of the life God intends? In our farming training, we often do a, draw the community together to do a demonstration plot. They learn together and other people come, oh, wow, I never believed that would happen. Well, the church is God's demonstration plot of what he wants to do for all creation. So how can this church be a demonstration of the life God intends? Amen. Well, thank you very much, and God bless you.